kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Let's pray. Lord, as our guests come this morning and share the vastness of the ministries in which they participate, we ask your blessing upon their lives as they share. Bless our hearts as we hear and commit us to your gospel in new and wonderful ways. Amen. I'd like to begin by introducing Christine Money to you. Christine has served as warden of three prisons over 30 years. Do not let her diminutive statue fool you. She is, a, she is some kind of woman. And in her ministry, she was to experience in prison the power of Kairos and how Kairos literally changed the atmosphere and the culture within a prison. After her retirement from uh, prison work, she wasn't done and then went into prison ministry, working first with uh, the Kindway board and then uh, expanding that and is now the executive director of Embark, which is a prison ministry that prepares uh, parolees and volunteers to work together so that persons coming out of incarceration are more successful in that very difficult transition. I'd like to welcome Christine and she's going to introduce you to Rich and to Paul. Welcome. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank you, Lou, for the gracious invitation to come and speak with uh, all three of your services this morning. Um, I'd like to introduce the two gentlemen that are sitting with me. Um, Rich King is to my right, and Rich is a navigator, uh, which is uh, what we call mentors. He's a volunteer in our ministry. Um, Rich just got a promotion last week. He is now going to be the uh, volunteer coordinator for men. Um, thank you very much. It um, comes with a big raise. but um, <laughs> uh, And then Paul Sparks is, is to his right, and Paul is our men's transition manager in our ministry, and he works with men who are incarcerated, prepares them for release, and works with them throughout the transition. 
um, and he is uh, new to this position, uh, and uh, he'll uh, talk with you a little bit about that. Um, worked inside prisons uh, for 30 years, and I learned a lot of lessons. I met many people inside, in fact, tens of thousands, actually, over that many years. Uh, many of them's lives were ravaged by addiction, poverty, abuse, and all kinds of other dysfunction. Um, but in, in addition to that, I met many men and women who are very smart and intelligent and hilarious and um, resilient and many people who uh, committed to their faith um, and became actually people that I admired. Um, one of the things about when you're incarcerated that uh, happens is that your personal property must fit in a footlocker, which is 2.4 cubic feet. That's all the property personal property that you have and some I think something happens when that's all that you have you you people tend not to focus on things any longer and people become many people become very dedicated to their faith um, Kairos prison ministry I became familiar with that when I was the warden at the Ohio Reformatory for Women and I invited Kairos into that prison in 1994 in fact they had their 49th weekend um, last weekend, and um, and then when I went to Marion, I invited them to come into MCI in 1997. Um, I saw hundreds and probably more like thousands men and women come into relationship with Christ through Kairos Prison Ministry. People who were broken, I saw heal. I saw lives transformed. I saw families reunite. I saw miracles. I saw many Saul to Paul stories. Um, and I witnessed the change, the dramatic change in culture of two prisons, both the Ohio Reformatory for Women. And I was at the Marion Correctional Institution with men for 10 years, so I really got to see a dramatic transformation of that prison over that many years. My office in both prisons were in, a, in an area that men and women who were being released um, came through. So I had the opportunity to greet men and women as they were being released on that day. And a day that you would think would be a happy day um, in many cases was not. It was a day filled with a lot of anxiety. Some people had places to go, some did not. Um, and uh, I knew that when I ever retired, I, I, I knew that I wanted to do something in ministry, and I knew I wanted to do something with reentry because I thought that everybody should have a plan and a place to go and, and, and a group of supportive people. So I retired from the prison system, joined the Kind Way board, and then became a staff person pretty quickly after. But there was a group of Kairos volunteers that had already had the vision of uh, putting a nonprofit together, which they did, and they, um, uh, their, they, their, their vision was to assist men and women in the transition um, from prison uh, out back into the community, um, really standing in the gap. So where Kairos and other ministries are very effective leading men and women to Christ, um, there's, was not, uh, there was pretty much a gap of service when it came to transition then into the community. So we pulled together a design team that included uh, successful ex-offenders and, and Kairos prison ministry volunteers and some Department of Corrections officials, and we designed what today is called Embark, which is a Christ-centered prison ministry for reentry. And we're at ORW and MCI. We engage with men and women at least one year, sometimes two inside, and then stay connected with them. 
we, uh, for at least one year or many times much longer than that in the community. Uh, we uh, have a couple of programs that we do for the for a year, close to a year inside. Celebrate Recovery, which is a Christ Center 12-step program, uh, because what we do in all of our work is we want to honor Christ. And then we do a program uh, called Getting It Right, which is uh, preparing for release. In addition to that, uh, people like Rich uh, come to the prison as a navigator, uh, which is a mentor, and he's going to talk about that. We help people put together transition plans, and we connect them with housing. Uh, we have job partners. Uh, we make sure they have bus passes and sometimes even clothes, clothes and food. Uh, we do this with two full-time staff, Paul and I, and three part-time staff and 70 volunteers. We form a human safety net and we accompany men and women from incarceration to independence. Um, to date, there are 111 men and women that started with us inside and are now in the community. We have had two individuals reoffend. Now that, you have to compare that to the recidivism rate in our state um, actually has one of the lowest in the nation. Our recidivism rate, which is returned to prison within three years, is 30%. Our rate is 4%. So we attribute that to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I'd like to introduce Paul. Good morning. I'm Paul Sparks. I'm the men's transition manager for Conway Embark. Uh, what that consists of for me is I go into the prison about twice a week, I do programming with those men, the programs that she mentioned. I, I do the Celebrate Recovery with them. I do the equipping of the Getting It Right uh, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy programming. Um, also, I am the guy that does the transition plans with them when they're coming home. And then when they transition into our house, we have a house east of Bexley where men transition into, and I manage that house and help them get established into the community, help them get to those job interviews and to those uh, other important things they need to do, like maybe meet the parole officer, stuff like that. Uh, but I wasn't always the men's transition manager, like she mentioned. Uh, I was blessed to be able to um, replace a man that uh, forged the path for this position. But before that, before I was managing anything, I couldn't even manage my own life. Uh, before that, I was... Uh, a liar, a cheat, and a thief that uh, went into prison four times uh, not to teach any programming because I needed the programming. Um, I was a, uh, a drug addict. Uh, I was a man that, um, who had a family that knew Jesus Christ, but uh, I wasn't trying to allow him to be the Lord of my life. Uh, I thought I was the Lord of my life, and I should be the Lord of all yours, too, at that time. Um, and I was clearly wrong. Uh, because every time I thought I was doing those things, I wound up in places where women like Miss Money had to run them. Um, and uh, in that trip, I disappointed a lot of people. I hurt a lot of people. Um, I abandoned a, a lovely daughter and wrecked a marriage and um, uh, worried almost to death parents that loved me very much. I was a terrible brother and a terrible son. Um, and at the point where I was finally so beaten down, so tired of the consequences of being a drug, drug addict, one that um, you know, chose to take my life to the depths of overdosing 13 times, um, twice in one day once, 
it still wasn't enough to make me realize that my life was unmanageable, that uh, I still thought that I could do it differently and, and get a different result, and that was the insanity of my life because I still kept getting the same bars and steel that I ended up behind. Um, the last time, uh, SWAT raided my house, and uh, you know, uh, my house was wired up like Big Brother. I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen that show. There's cameras everywhere. And, um, because I was paranoid and uh, I wanted to know who was coming and who was going and um, I saw him coming but I couldn't get out so I thought I'd be smart and hide in the rafters up under the insulation uh, but they found me and um, you know when they did I thought I was going to be disappointed but really it was a relief in my life because I knew the chaos could finally stop I could finally let go of this insanity that I was chasing in my life and I did that um, and that was shortly before they put me in a Franklin County Jail which was um, not the nicest accommodations um, it's definitely not what I had in mind for my retirement plan um, but I was laying there on a, uh, a sheet of steel because they were out of mattresses and I was all rolled up in this blanket and I was withdrawing from from opiates uh, heavily and um, I liken that to my, that experience to the experience of uh, Jacob with the angel at the riverside. Um, and uh, I wrestled with God there, and I, I cussed God, and I, I uh, blamed God, and um, then I surrendered to God. I made that decision that my will doesn't work. And uh, since then, I've found that his will does. Amen for that. Um, so I got busy. I, I, I started, I had been introduced to uh, programming in the past, um, but I hadn't centered it on Jesus Christ. And um, this time I did. And uh, as I got busy, I got blessed with going up to Marion, but I didn't get to Marion Correctional. I was next door at North Central, which was like Beirut, uh, it was uh, or Baghdad. It was it was crazy there. And, um, but I was blessed that they had uh, seven recovery meetings in five days there, and I got active. I I, I went through Kairos there. I um, got baptized there. I went to college there, but I didn't have an end game. I didn't know what I was going to do when I got out. So um, one day I was a prayer and share from. Uh, from, from Kairos, and uh, Chris's husband was on the Kairos team there, and he was there doing it, and he made an announcement about the Embark program. And I'm a graduate of season four of that program. We're now in our eighth season. And uh, I was like, well, I got it pretty good here. I'm going to college. I work in recovery services. I'm helping people. But they offered what I needed, you know, that I, I could, had to go back to Columbus, which was where I was from. So I was like, oh, I, I can do that. And I, they said, we'll give you, a, help you find a job, and uh, we'll give you a place to live so you can get on your feet. And those were the things that I needed, the things that I, um, though my family tried to help me in those things, uh, just couldn't provide for me like, like this program was able to do. And... Um, so I decided I'd be all in, kind of like we've been talking about today, and I, I have been. So I, I made the move over to Marion Correctional Institution, and I, uh, 
I got all in. I got involved. I, I uh, started tutoring for the college and was able, because the college was in both penitentiaries there, so I was able to finish that, and I started tutoring, and I got involved in recovery, uh, the recovery network there, and uh, more importantly, I, I really got involved in the Embark program and in meeting the people that had been through it and with the brothers that were going through it with me, and I forged some relationships. Ms. Money spoke about uh, the navigators, the volunteers that, that, that come by, by your side and help you, and I was starting to get paranoid that I wasn't going to meet one. I was worried, and um, I kept going to the, to the other facilitators, like, I haven't met a navigator yet. I'm getting close. What am I going to do? And they're like, calm down. You'll, you'll meet one. And... Um, you know, God did for me what I couldn't do for myself, and he, he put Rich in my life. Uh, we did that through a, a retreat that, that Embark hosts inside the institution, and um, I just happened to sit across from Rich. And uh, Rich has walked with me and um, uh, helped me to overcome issues that uh, I wasn't prepared to deal with, and I thought I was prepared. I, everything I did my whole time in was to prepare to come home and get out and be successful. Uh, and Rich has helped me overcome some major hurdles in that. Um, and it's, when I sit back and think about how, how we were introduced, it, it amazes me because um, it wasn't how I visualized it. But um, rarely does God answer prayers how I want him to answer them. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, there was a time in my life when I was in a, my house, which was a Ford Escort wagon, and I was praying for uh, God to bring me home that cold night because the heat didn't work, and I didn't want to live that life like that anymore. And uh, he answered that prayer, but he didn't answer it like that, and uh, uh, he restored my life to sanity with the help of the Columbus Police Department. And, uh, and, and I needed that at that time. Um, but Rich, Rich has been a, a mainstay in my life. You know, we ask navigators to commit to a year with the men when they're released, and uh, I've been holding on to Rich for three now. He's kind of like my hostage. Uh, <laughs> but I love him, and I'm thankful for him in my life. Um, so uh, to make sure I couldn't get rid of him, I talked Chris here into giving him a promotion we talked about. <laughs> so um, I'm going to let Rich tell you a little bit about his journey now. And, um, just uh, thank you guys for letting us share with you today. Good morning to all of you. Um, it is simply through the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that I am an, uh, a kind way and embark volunteer. Prior to October 2015, I had never been in a prison and I wouldn't have said that it was very high on my bucket list. But earlier in 2015, I received a letter from a good Christian male friend that invited me to go on a bus trip and spend the day in retreat that Paul mentioned earlier with the men of Embark and the staff of Embark at the Marion Correctional Institution. And in October 2015, I went on that bus trip, um, spent the day there, and had a life-changing experience, which I'd like to describe to you from a couple of different perspectives. First, something that happened to me that day, a very tangible experience that occurred that day at the Marion Correctional Institution. Um, 
one of the Embark participants, longtime Embark, Embark participants who um, is looking forward to a parole date in the future, was giving his testimony to the group. And it was a very moving, emotional description of his transgressions, the impact on his loved ones, the pain he caused, and of course, his faith journey. And while he was talking, and I was sitting at the table across from, par from Paul, I looked down, I looked away from the podium, and then I looked back and realized that everything had changed. It was as, as if a curtain had dropped in front of me and had been lifted. George's, the speaker, George's appearance was different. I looked across the table at Paul and his appearance was different. I looked around the room quickly at other tables and everybody's appearance was different. I no longer saw the prison clothing. I no longer saw the men there as inmates. They were men of God, men of faith, men seeking to improve their life just as I was. In that particular experience, um, on that first time at the Marion Correctional Institution, led me to realize that I had in fact been called with the, to, to that event, to that retreat, to spend time with these men, and I knew then that I wanted to know them better and to participate more deeply. You can't walk alongside someone as, uh, as I've done as Paul's navigator and friend on the type of journey that he has been on in the last 32 months without being profoundly impacted. But I'm certain, as I've continued to experience and ponder the experience with Embark and Paul, that I've contributed, that I've gained significantly more from the experience than I've contributed. As Paul said, although the formal commitment as a navigator is for one year, Paul has become and will remain a friend for the rest of my life and will serve as a good example to me, which I'll tell you about later. But I want to take, a take it a step further in the description of our experience together um, and take you back to January 2016, which was the time of Paul's, re Paul's release, <clears throat> and provide a bit more context. And I want you to stop and think for a minute. You're 41 years old. You've just been released from prison after a five-year term, which is a reason to be excited. Chris mentioned that earlier. But she also mentioned that shortly after that, reality sets in. The, rea the reality that you have to begin to build a life. You have to find a job. You have to arrange transportation to that job. You have to arrange transportation to the grocery store, <clears throat> excuse me, to church, to any place you choose to go. You have to locate clothes to wear. You have to learn to manage your money. You have to pay bills. You have to make financial decisions. You have to reestablish your identity. You might have to clean up outstanding debts or judgments before you can even test for that, that, that uh, license that we all consider very basic, a driver's license. You eventually have to take your driver's license test again. And until you get that driver's license, you have to acquire a state ID, <clears throat> excuse me, something that I had never heard of until early 2016. In short, you have to become familiar again with every aspect of this fast-moving society that we all take for granted. And I don't think it's a bit trite or it's a bit dramatic to say that when you walk out the doors 
of Marion Correctional Institution or any prison, you're starting your life over. And if you think that doesn't take preparation, doesn't take support, doesn't take help, then you're wrong. But the good news is that along with family and friends, and some have those family and friends, and some don't, Embark provides the preparation, the support, the help, and the love needed for these men to be successful. And the statistics which you've heard about earlier, only two of 111 have gone back to prison, proves that Embark works. As a result of volunteering with Embark, something has happened to me. I'm not sure I can describe what's happened, but I'm glad it's happened. I'm thankful it has happened, and I'm just going to continue living and pondering the experience as it continues to happen in real time. Volunteer navigators, such as myself, and there are probably about two or three dozen of us, meet once a month with the, at the Marion Correctional Institution with the men that are still inside the prison. It's from these monthly meetings that relationships are forged and navigator relationships develop. The relationship with Paul developed, as he described, uh, as a result of that first bus trip, that first day that I was at the Marion Correctional Institution. But I've had the privilege of working with two additional men that have been released, Antoine and Frank, and those relationships developed through the monthly meetings that I described. Each time that I leave uh, MCI after the monthly navigator meeting, I spend most of the drive back to Columbus basking in the joy, the peace, the self-awareness, the resilience, the values, and the faith that I encounter with these men of Embark. To be clear, I'm not consumed by my joy or my peace or my self-awareness or, or my re resilience, but I'm consumed by theirs. And as I drive, I'm preoccupied with one particular question. Why do I get to go home and these men here, these men there, must stay behind? Which leads me to the primary lesson that I've learned from the totality of my Embark experience, and that is a much elevated appreciation for that saying that we've all heard, probably sometime in our childhood, there but for the grace of God go I. In my individual view, there is only one difference between me and the men of Embark, and that is I have made one less mistake in my life, for which I'm grateful but which I've also learned by hearing and knowing their stories can change in the blink of an eye. I love Paul. I'm proud of Paul. I love the progress he has made since his release in January 2016 and how Embark has remained and in fact become a more important part of his life. When Paul, when the opportunity that Paul described to go to work for Embark was presented to him, he and I discussed two things. First, how valuable his experience as an inmate and Embark graduate would be to current and future graduates. Because better than any navigator, better than any volunteer who has never lived in that environment in prison, he knows what they've been through and what they're experiencing or going to experience as they re-enter society. The second is what I think of as the power of the call to him. He and I discussed that his transition from a stable, well-paying manufacturing job with fine benefits is similar to God's call to Abraham. To abandon his current and comfortable existence, to step into unknown territory, and to simply trust 
as he followed God's call. In my judgment, this is why Paul will always be a good example to me. He is a current-day Abraham, hearing God's call, trusting God's guidance, and stepping away from a comfortable situation into an entirely different path, a path of service to others. Why? Because through the person of Christine Money, God called him to it. On behalf of the volunteers of Embark, um, uh, I want to tell you that we love to volunteer with the program. We love each of the men that are associated with the program, either inside the institution or that have been released. We love going to MCI. We love spending time with them. And we're humbled that they have accepted us. Embark is certainly a journey, not a destination. But the original call that I experienced in October 2015, that I wanted to know these men better and that I wanted to participate more deeply, continues to unfold for me in a satisfactory manner. Because of them and for that, we are all grateful. All of the volunteers are grateful. I want to conclude by telling you uh, uh, sort of a personal aspect of the relationship that I have with Paul and that I have with Antoine and Frank, the two other men that I've been fortunate to mentor. And that is to just read to you a prayer that we, that the, that we try to say each time we get together. Um, it's known as the Merton Prayer. It's composed by a Catholic priest and monk Thomas Merton. I say it every day because I, it's great comfort to me because I think it describes a realistic relationship with God, with life, and with our futures, no matter our station in life. And the prayer goes as follows. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end or the direction it will take. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will never fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen. Thank you for having us here this morning.